0: Good morning church. Did anyone have turkey yet? Yeah. A, a little bit? Okay. I had some, good. Hopefully you didn't have it for breakfast. And you're gonna stay awake today. You guys doing well? You look great. Um, just to let you know what's going on, if you've been here before, the room looks a little different. And uh, we it's in process, in progress. And uh, we are turning the sides into stripes. Uh, What you currently have is just one stripe multiple times. It's a light gray. It's the same as the back of the room, light gray. Uh, There will also be dark gray stripes. There will be black stripes. And there will be white stripes at random intervals and random widths. I personally am thrilled and excited about this. Um, It was my idea. And I am fully aware that it's one of those things that you, I'm not going to get many people in between. You're either going to love it when it's done or you're going to hate it. Um, and I'm fine with that. If, if you hate it, just know that it was, it was really my idea. And I may hate it too, I don't know. But I'm pretty excited. I think it's going to bring some life into the room. Um, we were looking at all the areas that we had to touch up with paint and figured we just need to, it's time. After eight or nine years in this place, it's time. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm praying it doesn't cause any seizures uh, with all the stripes and the what looks to be like flashing. But it's just going to provide some movement for us and some excitement. So I noticed, I mean, we've only got one stripe done, but I noticed your worship was way better today. So anyway, I can't wait to see what four or five stripes are going to do. For those of you that are passionate, though, about the church changing and evolving, I love change. Personally, I love change. I ask my parents. I used to change my room around every week, and I would paint my bedroom halfway and then move on to another idea. Um, you can ask my wife. I move stuff around. I get tired of seeing the same things, even the same plants. Like, we got to get something fresh. Try to get rid of our kids once. She said no. I just like Change. Uh, so anyway, I'm excited about that. If you like change as well, you have an opportunity today at 1 o'clock to help us with change. At 1 o'clock today, we're going to transition this place into a Christmas oasis. And I think they're doing all kinds of things. A uh, Christmas tree, some things hanging from the ceiling. Um, so we need, we need people with strength. We need people with good backs, good knees. But we also need people who just can sit down and fold things and you don't have to lift things we need people with maybe you're just completely weak and powerless but you have a good brain we'll take you too um so anyway one o'clock that basically means you're going to hear a fantastic sermon that's going to last about 32 and a half minutes and after that you're going to go get something to eat and then you're going to come back and meet here at one o'clock and then next sunday we're going to have a christmas wonderland and an auditorium that dances all right Awesome. Hey, today uh, I decided that I wanted to start a new a new topic, not worship. And uh, I think the worship series was good, but today I want to take you on the topic of thanks and giving. Thanks and giving. And our text takes us to Matthew 14, verses 15 through 21. And before we get to our text, we see that Jesus is trying to get away to a deserted place. Often when he felt overwhelmed, he would get to a deserted place and he would pray. And the people saw him uh, coming to the deserted place. And so they followed him on foot and found him. So crowds found Jesus in deserted places. So not only was there prayer in deserted places, there were appointments in deserted places. And so in Matthew 14, verse 15 through 21, it says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And watch the game. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate (laughs) from five loaves and two fish was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Father, we come before you today, I thank you, God, just for a classic story in the book of Matthew that many of us have heard multiple times, yet we've, we've missed a detail. We, we've heard the story of the two fish and the five loaves and the 5,000, and God, we're grateful, and we believe that God can do that in our life, that Jesus can release provision and a creative miracle in our life. But God, let us focus in on the details today so that we can walk in the victory that you've ordained for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. How many of you, just a show of hands, have heard the story of Jesus multiplying two fish and five loaves of bread? Okay, it's pretty common. If you've not heard it, that's okay. Um, There are lots of stories in the Bible. You don't hear them all. I heard a story yesterday that I don't remember ever hearing, and that was in the book of Mark when Jesus, this is totally not in my sermon, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but to prove that you'll never know everything, but in the book of Mark, Carrie and I, we were on the road, and I said, hey, do a devotion. She pulls out the Bible, and this devotion read like half the Bible. And it was great. I mean, we did have a three-hour drive, so it works, but I, it was longer than I anticipated. But she read this one little part in Mark where when Jesus was getting arrested <laughs> randomly, it says, and there was a man there in a linen. who ran, The linen fell, and he ran away naked. And she read it, and I, th- I was like, "What what How does that help the story? Why do we need to know and no other gospel records it? Just mark so anyway, if you 've never heard of this story, take courage. There are things i don 't know about the Bible as well. I want to make a statement to you. I hope that you got your notes when you walked in and you got a pen to take good notes today we 're going to hit some uh, key comments and thoughts and axioms that I think will be helpful for you. And the first thing that I want to lay a foundation with is that the evidence of walking with and walking like Jesus is not just seen in the transformation of our ethics, of our morals, of our behavior, but it's also seen in the transformation of our emotions. In other words... Walking with Jesus doesn't just help get you right. It helps get you well. You've heard me say multiple times I think in the last few weeks even that the salvation experience is it is grand and we are pushing and running towards that. It is just not the pinnacle. It is not the end of your Christian experience here on earth. It's just the beginning. When someone says yes to Jesus, there is so much more. Walking with Jesus just doesn't make you right, it makes you well. Maybe God today wants to shift you from getting right to getting well. Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, I have come that you may have life, and have it to the full. And when Jesus says that you may have life, he's not talking about the duration or the length of life. He's talking about the quality of life. The Greek word is zoe. Z-O-E. Some would call it, say zoe, but it's pronounced zoe. It's not how long you live, it's the quality. And zoe literally translates to vitality. Jesus came so that you could walk in vitality, right? not just be alive, not just be born, not just have breath, but so that you could be fully alive. He came for you to have zoe and have it to the full. It goes on to say have life and have it to the full, have it in abundance. In other words, Jesus came so that the quality of your life would be superior in quality than someone who does not know him. Now, we're not here to compare. I don't want you to look at your neighbor, your co-worker, your spouse that doesn't attend church, or your family that doesn't attend church and compare, but this is, this is part of the gift that he's given to you. A life that is superior in quality because you came to know Jesus And the largest contributor of the quality of our life is in the health of your soul. In other words, the quality of your life does not lie in the condition of your bank account, it does not lie in the status of your food pantry or the car that you drive. Or the spouse that you marry, or the kids that you have, or the kids that went to college, or dropped out of college, or didn't go to college. That's not the quality of life that Jesus died for. The quality of life is not tied to any of those things, it's tied to the condition of your soul. It's not tied to your weight. Thank you, Jesus. It's not tied to your muscles. It's tied to the condition of your soul. This is why Solomon, the great wise man, said, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Because if something's got your heart, it's got your life. If anyone would be honest today and take inventory of your life, you could maybe be a witness for what I'm trying to say. You would say, Maybe something like, yeah, pastor, what you're saying is true. Something has your heart, it has your life. Because there have been many times I've been here, but my heart has been on the other side of town. Whatever has your heart has your life. Whatever has your heart has your attention. Whatever gets your heart gets your affection. Whatever gets your heart gets your appetite. If it gets my heart, it'll take my sleep. If it gets my heart, it'll choke my peace. How many believe this morning that the quality of your life is determined by the condition of your soul? And the largest contributor to a person's life is the condition of their heart. So my question today is, how's your heart? Do you even know? Have you been measuring your life based off the check marks and the benchmarks and the goals and the dreams and the visions and all the the things in this life? How's your heart? Let's just do a heart check-in today because there is a, a word in the Bible, actually, that will describe the condition of the hearts of those who follow Jesus. That word is joy, There is a word in scripture that describes the dominant disposition of the hearts of those that have actually surrendered their life fully to Jesus. Not those that go to church. Not those that tithe, not those that serve, not those that invite people to church, not those that have been to seminary, not those who think they can run a good church service, not those with a good voice, not those who have been baptized, not those who speak in tongues, but those who have fully surrendered their life to Jesus and given up their own right to control their life. The Bible says there is a word that will describe the condition of your heart, and it is J-O-Y, joy. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Notice there's a difference here between his joy and your joy. (laughs) I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy, which is not my joy, may be complete. He's saying, what I'm going to give you is not emotional in nature. It's spiritual in nature. But that thing of the spirit that I'm going to release into you will impact the emotional side of you because your spirit leads your soul and your body. He said, my joy. In other words, there is some joy that if you're not surrendering to Jesus, if you're not going through the process with Jesus, you're leaving some joy on the table. There is some joy that you're actually not putting into practice in your life because if you don't have his joy, your joy is not complete. Joy is the dominant disposition. Joy is is the dominant quality for those living the king's way. And that's not very comforting for those of us that are walking through depression right now. It's really not very comforting for someone who feels like you have to constantly fight for joy. I know. I understand. I get it. I'm not here to make you feel guilty for not possessing the joy that I'm, I'm talking about. I, I'm just saying that there is a joy that Peter talks about. He says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is a, a joy that we can't really just sit down and kind of get into your heart and, or tell you how to live out that joy or tell you what that joy even is. It's, it's unspeakable. There is a joy sent from on high that I can't give you the words of how I got it. I don't even know what it looks like. I just know that I've got it and I, I know when I've lost it. Joy unspeakable. And it's full of glory. Not my glory. His glory. When I walk in the joy that God has for me, it gives glory to God. It makes Jesus famous. When we run into Jesus and our heart starts to experience life and all that he has to offer, we too, like Peter, can say, I've got joy unspeakable. I was teasing the team this morning and I was like, hey, anyone here remember Sunday school? And you would sing the song, I've got Joy, 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 down in my heart. Oh, where? Wow, you are really old school. Because I was like, hey! Like, I don't know where I got that. But now that you said where, that's the right words. Wow, I, I just partied during Sunday school. Hey, hey! Where's the joy? Hey! Anyway, good one. The longevity of joy is an indication of if it's authentic joy. You show up to church and you're around people and you, oh, that joy kind of rubs off on you and it feels good. And you're smiling and, oh, I like this place and this is good. But then you, you go back home and that joy fades. That tells you you were walking in your joy, not his joy, because his joy doesn't fade. Joy is an indication of the transformation of our soul. That's one of the indicators. It's also a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, all the fruits of the Spirit that don't just come and go based on circumstance. If you're walking, surrendered to Jesus, this is something that is actively growing in your life. Romans 14, 17 through 8 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of... Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Approved by men. Not really seeking human approval, being tested by men. If you carry the, the joy of God, you're pleasing to God, but you're tested by men. They're seeing if if your life is really aligning to who you say you are. Oh, you say you're a believer? Let me let me see the joy factor. Let me see if that joy aligns with who you say you are. Because if you really serve the God of all the universe, like you've been telling me, there should probably be some joy. If you're the king's favorite, I probably should see that reflected on your face. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18. Says, Be joyful always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes, especially when I was in youth ministry, Pedro, you may get this often. I've even had it as a senior pastor, people, probably the most often requested prayer request is, I just want to know God's will for my life. I just want to know God's will. You know, especially when you're going through transition of high school to college or Young adult and maybe young adult to mid-20s, late-20s, and you're trying to figure out your life. I just want to know God's will for your life. Oftentimes when they ask that, they're saying, should I be an evangelist? Should I be a pastor? Should I be a missionary? Should I be a dentist? Should I be an attorney? They're looking at all the periphery things of the things that they could accomplish or do in their life. But you want to know the God's will for your life? It tells us right here, First Thessalonians. God's will for you in Christ Jesus is to be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. There is no greater will of God for your life than that. I'm just going to let that marinate. We keep looking for things to do to make God happy or to make make the income you want or to, to make... To attract the spouse that you want or, or to make up for the bad parenting you did or to make up for, do you know, we make all kinds of crazy excuses and reasons to seek God and search for God and his will for something. You want to know his will? Be joyful. Always. That's his will for you. And if you knew, no other scripture This one would be enough that you could work on the rest of your life. Be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some of us in the room or watching online, you're probably saying, but pastor, I don't always have joy. Now after this, I'm sad and offended. (laughs) Well, welcome to church. Because this is this is truth of God's word, so that you can be, you can be washed by the water of his word. When you, when you come and you hear some, something that just doesn't really describe your life, that's an indication that God wants to do something in your life. It's not an indication that you're bad. It's not an indication that you've been disobedient, though you might have been, especially in the case of joy, and I'll explain that later. But really, when you come to conflict of God's word, what it should tell you is, Hey, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to receive it with an open heart because rather than fight the word with exceptions, I'm going to let the word fight my exceptions. Some of us are just living beneath what God has said you could have. The New Testament, Jesus came, he accomplished so much. He did so much for us. and It's almost like a will. It's a will. And he said, hey... When you say yes to me and you're adopted into the family, these are the things that you get. And I lay them before you and they're already accomplished. This is how you get to live your life. And we come to Jesus and it's already been won for us, but we don't take the things that he said we can have. And I'm here to tell you today you can walk in joy. I'm not just going to tell you today to walk in joy. I'm going to teach you how to walk in joy. Always walk in joy. Somebody in the room, probably going to come up to me after church and say, hey, Pastor, will you, will you pray for me that God will give me joy? I'm going to say, no. Because that's not how it works. That's, that's praying in vain repetition like the Pharisees did. Asking God to give you something he's already made accessible to you is an ineffective prayer. And it shows our ignorance of the word. That's like me praying to God to send another son to die on another cross to save the world. It's already been done. The Jews prayed that like before Jesus. That's a prayer we don't have to pray anymore. It's already been done. You actually don't have to pray for joy. And too often we pray for things that we just need to practice. You can't get through impartation. What comes through maturity. People will come up often and they will pray, ask, you know, pray, pray for knees, pray for teeth, pray for nerves, pray for allergies, and, and we believe God for healing, and sometimes we encounter a miracle of God and there is an immediate healing. That's called an impartation. We didn't deserve it. God just imparted it. Nobody needed to grow up to get their knee fixed. Right? It's the goodness of God. We should pray for those things. We, we should believe in a God who can impart into us in, in a moment the miracles and the mysteries of heaven. But there are things actually in the word of God that teaches us how to grow in faith, how to grow in the fruit of the spirit. And we spend all our time praying for God to impart something that he's asking you to practice. And we would have been much further along in the journey of our joy had we known what I'm sharing with you today. We we say, God, give me faith. How about you just practice not being critical of what's going on in your life right now? It's amazing how much faith you can access when you stop criticizing. Or we pray, God, help my marriage. How about you practice being kind How about you practice not retaliating? How about you you practice loving even when it's not deserved? How about you practice respecting? Some of us pray for God to give us friends. Why? The Bible tells you how to get friends. Do it. You want friends? Be friendly. God help my finances. God help my finances. What do you want him to do? Give you another job so you can work 110 hours a week? How about you just practice tithing? How about you just practice cooking at home? I really did just offend, I felt it in the room. Some things come through maturity. We can, we can agree with that. Some things come through maturity, which isn't about age. It's about consistent decisions or practicing patterns that lead to outcomes. That's how we mature. We practice the healthy patterns that lead to the outcomes that we desire. Joy fits in this category. I have good news for you today. You don't have to weep and wail for joy anymore. I'm going to show you the pattern that leads to the outcome that you desperately crave. I'm going to show you the pattern that leads to joy. What is joy? I'm glad you asked. Joy is the state of being based on the assurance that my victory rests in the one who is producing a favorable outcome for me. That's in your notes. It's a big, it's a lot of words, so I gave you just a little bit to fill in. Joy is the state of being... It's an internal state of being based on what? Based on the confidence, the assurance, the revelation that my victory rests not in me, not in my bank account, not in my kids' behavior, not in my spouse, not in my home, car, finances, or job. It rests solely and only in the one who is producing a favorable outcome for me. My victory does not rest in any circumstance. It does not rest in a boss. It does not rest in an economy. It does not rest in a job. And joy has absolutely nothing to do with success or suffering. How can I practice joy? If we say that joy is is about a favorable outcome... And in assurance, how can I practice that? Because I can't control the favorable outcome. Well, first we need to understand that joy is not a feeling. It's a choice. Sometimes we think that being happy is the same as joy. That's not. I can can lament. I can be sad. I can grieve and still carry joy. You don't have to carry one or the other. I can go through significant loss in my life and still be confident in a God who sees me, a God who's walking with me, a God who has promised to turn all things for my good. And I may not be able to calculate that good this side of heaven, but I can hold that joy and that tension this side of heaven. How do I practice joy? I will tell you that the amount of joy that you experience in a day is the exact amount that you chose to. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm going to start asking my kids, hey, how was your day? And if they say it was all right, I'm going to be like, why didn't you choose for it to be great? <laughs> Isn't that empowering? I'm not at the mercy of the, the joy bucket that somebody's pouring out today. I don't have to get in the flow of joy. I get to choose how much joy I have each and every day. How do you choose joy? You choose joy by choosing the thing that produces it. Joy is an outcome. Remember, I said it's not an emotion. Joy is an outcome. Choosing joy means choosing to live with gratitude. Being grateful is a decision. We see this in our text. We're going to jump back to it in Matthew 14. But being grateful is a decision, is a choice. And we know that gratitude produces joy. If if we don't hold joy 100% of the time, we're not being grateful. So we just back that truck up a little bit. And if we want to drive on the lane of joy, we need to load the truck a bit with some gratitude. I mean, think about Jesus when he healed 10 lepers. Ten lepers, skin disorder, disease, white patches, itchy, scaly, scratchy, gross, contagious. Ten of them came up to him. Jesus said, Go back, see the priest, and on your way, you're going to be healed. Which is a whole other sermon because they weren't healed. They were told to to go and walk as if they were healed before they were healed, which is a whole other sermon. But that's what he said. He said, Go on your way, and you're going to be healed. And so they all leave, ten leave, and then one comes back. He's, he's walking, and he looks down at his skin, and he realizes, hey, my skin is normal. And Before, I don't, know, I don't know if he came back to Jesus after the priest or not, but the Bible says that one came back, the leper came back to show gratitude to Jesus. Now, ten people got the same healing from Jesus, but only one chose To come back and show gratitude. That tells you and me that gratitude is a choice. You can choose to walk in it or you can choose to forget the itching. Nine of those lepers forgot that just one hour earlier, they were in tremendous pain and they were an outcast. Once they got their healing, they forgot where they came from. You want to increase some gratitude, remember where God brought you from. You weren't always this beautiful. You weren't always this nice to be around. You weren't always this kind. You weren't always this gentle. You weren't always this saved. Remember where God brought you from and allow gratitude to be stirred in your heart. We see that Jesus doesn't just expect gratitude. He models it. Let's look back at our text where they have only two fish and five loaves Let's lean in. Look what Jesus did. You may have missed this before when you learned about the story or you read about the story, but look what Jesus did before the miracle. Verse 19 says, He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks. Underline that. Looking up to heaven, He gave thanks. Looking up to heaven, He was grateful. So before the miracle, before the multiplication, before the Spirit of God came through, there was gratitude. The very thing that some people would have complained about. You expect me to feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread? The very thing that many people would have complained about, he gave thanks for. He didn't look down at the bread. He looked up. If he had looked at the bread, he would have seen the lack. Maybe you're down
1: because you're looking
0: down. When you go from looking at the bread to looking toward heaven, you go from feeling entitled, go from feeling fear, go from feeling guilt and shame to feeling grateful. Gratitude comes from what you choose to look at. My knee is hurting. It's been hurting this whole week in a bad way. Like I'm hobbling around the house and my wife last night was like, are you going to be able to preach? I'm like, oh yeah, I just got to get her warmed up. You know, once it warms up, then I can walk on it for a while, but then I sit down and then I go from sitting to standing or lying to whatever. I don't know if it's a, a gout flare up or arthritis, but I've never had it in my knee, so I don't know what to call it, but I know that it hurts. But you know what? My foot's good. Oh, and I have had some foot attacks. I've had my foot swolled up like a big sausage. I don't know if sausage is small, but kielbasa. So yeah, my knee hurts. But I remember a time when I couldn't walk on either feet, either foot, either of my feet. I'm feeling the Lord so much I forgot my grammar. Dude. Your body may be bad, but do you have a good leg? Oh, your your leg may be bad, but you got a good shin. Shin may be bad, but you got a good ankle. Bad ankle, good toe, bad toe, good toenail. Focus on what you got and what the Lord has done for you. But better yet, rather than just trying to find something good, because sometimes that's even hard, to find something good. Look up. Look up at the one who's providing for you the one who is sustaining you, the one who has it all, no matter what you need, he's, he's got it and he's got you in mind. Gratitude comes from what you choose to look at. And this this idea of gratitude leads to joy, leads to outcomes that are favorable, is not, is, this is not the only instance in scripture. You look when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead Four days, the Bible says Jesus goes to the tomb and he weeps. I I still don't know exactly why he wept. He knew what was about to happen. That's a whole other sermon. I have some thoughts on it, but no one really knows why Jesus wept, but I'm glad that he did. As it proves, he can identify with me. And he wept at the tomb and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I say this for those that are here with me today. He started out with, thank you, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I'm pretty sure Jesus could have walked up to the tomb and just said, Lazarus, come on out, boy. He could have. He's God. It was within his capacity to produce the miracle. But there are patterns that miracles Favorable outcomes and joy flows from a place of gratitude. And too often, we don't want to offer gratitude till we see the miracle. But I'm here to tell you today that gratitude precedes the miracle. So what is it that we have to be grateful for today? You need joy? Be grateful. So good. And so easy. So easy to force yourself to be grateful for three things every day. What a a simple little pattern to institute in my life to stir the pot of joy. Simple. So easy that the enemy has convinced us that we have to fight for something that's already within our reach. Now, on your notes, you see that I still have five points and you're really nervous about time. These are rapid fire points. Are you ready? <clears throat> Gratitude improves my evangelism. G R A T I T U D E. Gratitude. Gratitude improves my evangelism. It's really difficult to be an effective witness when I am emotionally unattractive. When when I don't carry joy in my life, Nobody wants what I'm carrying. I know somebody needs to say amen to that. Gratitude activates my imagination. Creative miracles happen when there's gratitude. You aren't limited to what you see. You're not limited to two fish and five loaves. Some will look at what's in their hand and say, I can't do anything with that. But when you have gratitude, you you don't worry about what you're working with. You worry about who you're working with. Gratitude keeps me from unnecessary anxiety. Gratitude is a weapon against your worry because you recognize that God's past faithfulness will create confidence for your future. God has never failed you yet. He may not have given you the answer you wanted, you expected, or you desired, but God has not failed you. And because he has been faithful before, I can guarantee he's going to be faithful again. Gratitude increases my opportunities. Favor finds the grateful. You very rarely see people walk into new doors that weren't grateful for the old door. Number five, gratitude attracts increase. Gratitude is your your seed for more. Now, look, it doesn't mean that I never feel entitled. It doesn't mean that I never grieve or I never feel disappointed. That's human nature. I, I will go through those emotions. You will go through those emotions. But when those feelings arise, I don't allow them to stay and to govern the condition of my heart. And you don't have to either. Will you stand to your feet? When you walked in today, you received communion. And I can't think of anything more wonderful to be grateful for than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, one day I'm going to heaven. I mean, I am. I hope you are too. That's on you. But I know I am. And it's not by my works. It's not by a church that I build or a family that I pour into. It's not by the books that I write or the books that were in my heart that I never wrote. It's not for the sports that I play or the friends that I make. I'm going because there was a drop of blood with my name on it. Sometimes I ask people, how you doing? And their response is, oh, I'm living. And I often reply, hey, that's better than not living. <laughs> that's my funny reply. But I think after this sermon, I'm going to start saying, because I don't think just living is better than not living. Because if you're in Jesus and you're not living, you're in glory, which is pretty great. Death isn't the, the sting. Death is the friend. I think I'm going to start saying um, it's time for a zoe kind of life. An abundant life. A life superior to the life that you've been living on your own. And that's possible not because you have to try harder or strive and do more or be successful in anyone's eyes. You don't need more likes. You don't need better lighting. You need the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Father, we're so grateful today for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So grateful. It it amazes me that such a holy God would want relationship with me. Would give me an opportunity to be called his son. God, I'm filled with gratitude today. Let my life... Be disciplined with gratitude. God, I ask that you would help each and every one of us to continue to look up. Not not look at what's in our hand, not look at the lack, not look at the disappointment or the circumstance, but to look up toward heaven. God, as we receive this bread today, we know that the body of Jesus was broken so that we can walk in healing. God, that healing is a Zoe kind of life a superior living. Because now that we're in Jesus, we can claim the 39 stripes that he took on his back for our healing. So God, any one of us in the room or watching online receiving communion in this moment that are sick, we ask that you would just release healing in the room as we receive this bread. In Jesus' name, church, if you'll receive your healing. God we thank you for the blood the blood of Jesus that restores us to right relationship that covers our sin and makes us white as snow (laughs) this blood doesn't just reconcile us to you but it reconciles us to your creation so it allows our relationships to be healthy and to be whole because God you didn't come just so we would be right you came so we would be well So as we receive the blood of Jesus today, I ask that all of our relationships would just get a spark from you. God, that you would give us insight, discernment, and wisdom. Give us ways to lay down our pride, lay down our control, ways to bless the other person. In Jesus' name. Church, if you'll receive the blood. Before I dismiss you, you have to turn to two or three people. Just turn to one person and tell them one thing you're grateful for. One thing you're grateful for before we go. One thing you're grateful for. Turn to one person. Tell them one thing you're grateful for. Okay, okay, you you told them, you told them. You're making lunch plans now, slow down. The key to gratitude is to be as specific as you can. If you said you're thankful for family, we need to work on that. What are you thankful about for your spouse? What are you thankful about kid number one, kid number two, kid number three, kid number 10. Go down the list. What are you thankful about your job? What are you thankful about your community? What are you thankful about Texas? About the United States? Do you know what I mean? Let's be very specific in our gratitude this week. So now that you've been to church, I want you to go be the church. I bless you to be led by your spirit, not your soul or your body, to walk in wholeness, health, and healing this week. We'll see you next week at 10.30 a.m. Hopefully we'll also see you today at 1 p.m. Be blessed, church. We love you.